Welcome to the Poison Honey Podcast, where we discuss the bitter truths of life with raw vulnerability, honesty, and a dash of humor. I am your host, Manorak of Grey, artist and writer, author of A Tale of Her, which is the sponsor of this podcast. So if you want to support us, consider getting the book. It is a short story with poetry and artwork all done by me. If poetry is not your thing or you just don't have the funds to get the book, consider supporting us by following us on social media or sharing this podcast with someone you think needs it or will enjoy it. Today's topic on Poison Honey is toxic relationships. We hear this term a lot nowadays, don't we? And it's being applied to many different situations, um, some more extreme than others. Uh, For example, you have people really experiencing physical abuse and this type of thing. But also, I think nowadays, a lot of it has to do with psychological, emotional abuse. And how do you recognize if you are in such a relationship or have been in such a relationship? Basically, when in such a situation, you might feel maybe neglected or exploited. In my case, I felt very judged and therefore, uh, as a result, belittled and ashamed. I became very ashamed of myself, who I am, my natural traits, both physically as characteristically, because I was constantly judged on on these things. So other things that can be a red flag, so to say, perhaps in combination of these things, you have very bad communication, or I think one of the biggest red flags would be feeling like you've lost yourself and or maybe people in your environment telling you that they don't really recognize you anymore can be a very good sign that something is wrong in your environment perhaps in your relationships be it romantic or perhaps work relationship or any family friend relationship basically when you have Two human beings, basically, you can consider a relationship, right? And any number of those type of uh, human experiences uh, or human relations can be, can be or become toxic. So this is exactly what I talk about with Joe Templin uh, in this week's episode. And we don't only talk about the signs and, and what it does with you emotionally, mentally, but also things that you can do to maybe speed up your healing process or just help you to get through that that process of grief and anger and everything. So Joe Templin is someone that he calls himself a Swiss army knife. Um, this means that he does a lot of different things, kind of, kind of like myself. So he does financial planning. He starts uh, or founds uh, startups and does a, a lot of uh, things like uh, martial arts. And uh, I mean, he will tell you all about it in this interview. I won't go on. So without any further ado, here is the interview. 
Right, welcome to the Poison Honey Podcast. Today I have Joe Templing with me. Hello, Joe. Good morning. I've invited you here so you can share the story, your story of uh, personal vulnerability with us. So let's just dive right in. What is the story of personal vulnerability that you want to share with us today? Jeez, just having me strip naked right away. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> not, not even a kiss, no flowers for us. <laughs> Later. By the way, I use dark humor in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm Irish, so this is culturally how I am. So I get along with Dutch people very well. Uh, but also with all my friends in the military and everything else, dark humor is a very good coping strategy to be able to get through the BS of things. So my story, and I might break down at some point here, um, is that I just came out of a long-term relationship with significant amount of emotional abuse from a narcissist. And so I've dealt with lots of coping strategies that I actually developed well before them, which helped make me excellent, which made me a great target for a narcissist. And it is something that I work professionally helping other individuals in terms of their development. And part of that development is overcoming the various traumas that almost all of us have experienced at some point in our life. So I'm still very raw with uh, some of this experience, some of this trauma buying. I've had various other traumas in the past, obviously, that I've used to help fuel me. But so, you know, this is almost like a lifetime look at somebody trying to recover from some significant incidents. Right. So may I ask how long ago uh, you got out of this relationship? Uh, What time is it? <laughs> uh literally like um there because it was such a long-term relationship it's still unwinding but mm-hmm. the final bonds have are have or are being broken and so i'm still in the early stages of grief you know i have a lot of anger at times a lot of frustration a lot of questioning you know trying to make deals with the universe oh just bring her back let's you know rewind it so i completely understand what other people are going through or have gone through and so uh as one of my close friends reminded me you know i am worthy of being loved and i am a badass you know, my buddy's like, you know, guys want to be you and women want to be with you. I'm like, yeah, obviously <laughs> not. But, uh, you know, again, coming back to the Huber thing, yeah. but that's something that we need to remember. We mm-hmm. have 100% uh, success rate of getting through bad days. Right. Haven't failed I- yet, and I'm not planning on failing today. And so that's all we got to focus on is, all right, suck it up and keep going for a little bit longer. The, the reason I asked you is because I, uh, just a year ago, came out of a similar situation. It was a five years long relationship. And also with, I don't know if I'm allowed to classify this person as a narcissist, but they certainly had narcissistic behavior. <laughs> Let's keep it to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recognized this phase of, of grief that you almost kind of um, get used to, to, I say I got used to the pain. Like I've mm-hmm. 
so used to the pain and I numb myself to this pain that I didn't know myself outside of it. I didn't know life anymore outside of what this pain was. So what are some of the ways that it has impacted you in your life? Well, talking about the pain is actually a very good idea because I'm an ultra runner. I'm a full contact martial artist with decades of experience. So every part of my body has been injured at some point, especially, you know, my heart and soul at this stage of the game. And so having pain becomes almost the normal. And it's like, oh, you know, my shoulder hurts, my knee. Oh, it's not that bad today. Oh, I can tell it's going to rain because I can feel it in my knee. Those sort of accumulated damages to the body. But emotionally and spiritually, we should not be like that. And it's getting through that pain that you became accustomed to. It's the theory of the boiling frog. Um, you know, if you take a frog and try and throw it in boiling water, it's going to jump out immediately. But if you slowly amp up the temperature, you can literally boil the frog and it won't notice because it becomes acclimated to the new temperature, to the new uh, level. And right. that is one of the things that narcissists and other people who are emotionally abusive end up doing. You know, they start with love bombing or whatever, and they're nice. And then, you know, the mask slips a little bit and they start with, you start doubting a little bit, but then they gaslight a little. So you question that and they do it a little bit more. And eventually after a couple of years, your friends are like, who the hell are you? Because this is not my friend. You're acting different. And it's being able to pull yourself out of that and look and say, holy crow. What the hell am I thinking? What am I doing? I would not tolerate this. You know, two years ago, I would not tolerate somebody treating my friend this way. I'm allowing this other individual to treat me this way. Right. And and did you find that, um, did you start like losing uh, friends or people close to you as well? Or maybe people weren't like talking to you as much as a result of this relationship? Um, it wasn't as a result of the relationship. I, I also have special needs kids and I work insane hours building my business and everything. So um, time is at a premium for me anyway, but whatever time I had was either being spent with my kids or with this person. And so it wasn't like uh, people noticed that I was spending less time or anything, especially with COVID, you know, that changed things up dramatically. But I noticed looking back and uh, some of my friends who like live all the way across the country, so I only get to talk to them rarely, are like, dude, what's going on? Because yeah. I can see and feel the changes. I can hear it in your voice. I can um, notice in your texts, you know, they're a little bit darker than usual, even though, you know, dark humor, as I said, is part of but, you know, there's a little bit more edge to it. There's a little, there's some suffering coming through. Yeah. And so people who really, really know you can hear that and see that. And your best friends will actually call you out on it. Yes. That's the difference between a friend and an enabler, actually. But like, how did you feel when they when they called you out? Because for me, sometimes it sounded like they were speaking Chinese to me. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, how was this experience? For right, you? because you're so emotionally tied in, you know, almost Stockholm syndrome to this other individual that you're like, dude, no, you're not seeing it. She's just having a bad day, or she's under a lot of stress. You know, there's stuff going on that you're not aware of, and they're like. 
dude, listen to yourself. You know, you're, you're using the same denial mechanisms that I did X years ago when you helped me get through my, you know, alcohol addiction or when I was going through, you know, the same sort of thing. So having those people who can literally hold up a mirror and say, Hey, yeah, it's very important. And it's still, I wonder, like, <clears throat> because a part of me wishes that they have perhaps told me sooner when I it wasn't as deep in. But I, I still wonder, like, if if I was already, like, thinking, like, I don't understand the language you're speaking, I wonder if that would have even made a difference uh, if they had told me. Because, as you said, you're so deep in there. and. You, you have like beautiful, uh, amazing plans that you're kind of making with this person, mm -hmm. like your plans. I, I guess this is like one of the things that, that hooks you because you're like, no, but we're working towards something, right? And it, that's something that keeps being pushed. Right. For, and for we might have been working towards something, but <laughs> they were in the process of taking. And that's yeah. one of the big things is in a lot of these relationships, there is a taker and their focus is on what can I get now versus mm -hmm. what can we build together? So it's very extractive mm -hmm. in terms of the mindset as opposed to constructive, which those of us who build businesses for a living, who have long range focus because of athletic backgrounds, um, you know, people who tend to be high in empathy are looking for this longer range versus the what makes me feel good in the moment. Yeah. Sort of approach that others have. Yeah. The, the quick fix in a, in a sense. Um, exactly. And it's a fix in that they're like an addict and that they need that hit. And yeah. so they're willing to, violate the relationship they're willing to go do you know different things to get said hit right and and uh, like from the point that you decided okay enough is enough um what has helped you to kind of get out of that uh, uh well I'm a writer by background, so I actually wrote an entire book as a cathartic thing everyday excellence where um a lot of I was doing a lot of research around this and a lot of writing. And so you, anybody who goes through and reads this book and reads it day by day, like it's intended, it's basically a multivitamin for life. Right. You know, they can see various pain points. They can hear when I'm talking about, you know, interacting with your crush or trying to uh, work on your relationship. They can feel my pain on that. And right. so writing it was very important. And uh, the person that caused all of this pain, I, I actually gave a copy to. She hasn't read it, of course, but, you know, but and I never call her out by name and I never will because it always takes a high road. But mm -hmm. if she actually reads it, she'll know. And other people around me who read this book, they can say, oh, yeah, I can see what you're inferring to. Yeah. So the art of the poet is to not say everything. And so I write lots of poetry. I mean, literally, I write one or two poems a day and have for the past couple of years in terms of dealing with this as part of my catharsis. So that's one of the things that I would recommend to your listeners is find some way to express what's going on in your heart and soul. If you're a painter, paint. If you're a uh, artist and draw, draw. If you're a writer, Right. If you're a musician, 
sing or whatever your particular thing is. Find a, a artistic expression that you can utilize on a regular basis, essentially daily, to help channel this. And you're going to, one, have a lot of very angry stuff that you're producing at times, but yeah. two, there will be some very sad things and there'll be some happy ones that come on out of it. But it's part of integrating your light and dark, integrating your shadow, healing in ways. And so find something along those lines that you can do on a regular basis to let these emotions and experiences come forth in a healthier manner. Right. So what if someone says, I have, someone is me in this case. <laughs> <laughs> someone me. Being honest. Guilty. But I also write poetry and, and I, I, in fact, also did something similar uh, to process um, what happened. And there's also some events that happened after the relationship with the, like you fall from one narcissist to the other, right? Um, yep. I, I wrote poetry and I, and I wrote a, like a short story and poetry. Um, but I, I have like difficulties like really doing it every day. Do you have like any tips to, to like make a routine or something? That mm -hmm. So one of the things I talk about in the book is the concept of habit stacking that James Clear introduces in his book, Atomic Habits. So... I'm a morning person. I always have been. I, you know, my mom said I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning all the time, and I still get up at four to five a.m. No matter what. So we all get up in the morning, right? You wake up, you get out of bed. So since that's when my most productive is, mm -hmm. I literally make sure that I take advantage of that. So I get up, I grab my half cup of coffee that I've left there for to start. I mm -hmm. hit the start on the coffee pot so that the fresh pot's ready to go. And I uh, do a couple minutes of working out just to get my the blood going, my brain going. And then yeah. I sit down and I write. And I write every single morning almost immediately after getting up because there's stuff in my head from when I was sleeping. Your subconscious, that's how you process information. That's what dreams are. And if yeah. you're not sleeping, you're not properly processing that. So that's one of the things that people with insomnia or sleep issues uh, – have to be concerned about is it's not allowing their brain to reflect upon the previous day and encode memories properly. So this is one of the things that we see with people who have PTSD or complex PTSD is the lack of memory and the lack of integration, uh, compartmentalization in a lot of ways of what they've experienced and done. So this actually allows you to integrate all the different parts into the whole of your being. And you know, you, we can talk about that in a metaphysical point of view, but we can also talk about it in a basic uh, biological point of view. And so I would get up and I would start writing. And sometimes I would have entire poems almost written in my head when I woke up and I just barf them out on a page. Uh, and sometimes it was sitting there and uh, doing more in-depth writing, whether I'm writing an article for one of the various uh, magazines that I write for, groups that I write for, writing pages in the book. Uh, you know, I finished mm -hmm. one book and two days later started writing another one. So it's allowing you to do that, but it's a process. It's a habit. Get up, have the mm -hmm. cup of coffee, do a quick little workout to get the brain going, start writing, 
everything out of my head right a little bit to like start things that would go and do a real workout 20 minutes of running or half hour of weights or martial arts or what have you then when my brain is fully lit up because exercise is like music in a lot of ways in that it causes the entire brain to get active both left side and right side and everywhere from your spinal cord all the way through the neocortex everything's just lighting up like a christmas tree if you were to look at an eeg and so that i would do that i'd sit down and i would just go until whatever was in my head and heart was out okay, that could be five minutes that could be an hour so but then you know because i'm an early riser before anybody else is getting up, I've already gotten in a workout and I've created for the day. That's and then I, what I do is I do some reading at that point. Uh, I read like the Daily Stoic or Robert Greene's Daily Laws. I read my own copy of my book every day at this point. Um, and I have to do the homework assignment. Sometimes they suck. But yeah. then you do that and all of a sudden you're rolling into you're prepped for a better day overall. And that's not to say you're not going to have every day is going to be sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns and cupcakes and all that, nor is every single day going to be super productive. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be bad moments where something hits you like, oh, geez, remember when we did this? Or a picture pops up in your phone, you know, one year ago today. You know, oh, that's yeah. basically the worst. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like the idea of um, working out because I got the cup of coffee down. That's like a routine already. <laughs> it's not an issue. <laughs> but um, I find that I often question um, how do I work for my own business. But like my nine to five job is also at home, and often I have to start at like eight o'clock in the morning. So mm-hmm. I roll up out of bed at like seven thirty. <laughs> I go my cup of coffee and I'm sitting again right behind the computer. So I, I like this idea of integrating some kind of movement um, before essentially yeah, sitting down again after having uh, woken up. Um, I will definitely try this. And you also sent me... So set your alarm for 15 minutes earlier. You know, 15 mm-hmm. minutes is not a big deal. You'll adjust to it physically within a couple of days. If it takes you even that long. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, doing 500 burpees or anything crazy like that. Just a couple of minutes of whatever you want that is going to help you. So, for example, as a martial artist, I believe in working on my fundamentals. So every single day, I throw 100 punches with each hand and have done so for as long as I can remember. Even when I had a back injury, over mm-hmm. last summer, I could not move. I was able to get myself in the shower, have the hot shower beating on my back, and be able to do the punches at a tenth speed, but I still did them. Right. So it creates that routine, and all right, I have accomplished this. So even if nothing else good happens that day, I've at least got that uh, checked off of my overall list. Mm-hmm. And it ends up developing excellence. At this point, I've thrown probably 10 million punches each hand. So I don't have to think about it. So doing those little things that help you overall, that create that consistency that and that basically triggering in a positive way of X, then Y, then Z, it's a positive domino effect. If you can establish routines and set up your environment 
physically and mentally slash emotionally to be able to do things along that way that where you're going to have the positive outcome. So one thing I do a lot of is I've used music for decades as a way to help flip the switch. So, for example, wrestlers have their walk-up music and you hear the breaking glass and, you know, that Stone Cold Steve Austin or what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, Baseball players have their music, too. I mean, I'm a huge Yankees fan and Mm -hmm. you would hear Enter Sandman the first few strains, but you knew Mariana Rivera was coming on it. For me, I've got one song that I listen to at the end of all my runs. Thor, the powerhead by Man of War, nice, good, you know, hair metal band, but yeah. also Queen's uh, Princes of the Universe, the theme to Highlander. I love this song. And so I can hear the opening strains of Highlander. Here we are. And all of a sudden I'm flipping the switch. I mean, you saw me stand up brighter. So 10 minutes before we jumped on this call, I actually played that. I, that's something that I do all the time. So it doesn't matter if I'm having a good day or a bad day. It doesn't matter if my morning was crap or my morning was awesome. Mm-hmm. I hear the opening strains of that. I'm ready to perform. So one of the things I would tell your listeners is find that song that is going to positively trigger you. That's going to get your blood pumping. That's going to mentally engage you. Because if you use it regularly and program yourself almost in a Pavian manner, you can hear just the opening three seconds, and it has the same effect almost of the whole song, and you're ready to go. I think one of those songs for me would be like Seven Nations Army. Awesome song. If that song, which I love because it's got a real good beat and everything to it, and it's so distinctive, which is something else that you want. If you find that works for you, before you're going to do anything important, play it. And when you're in a, just a really good mood mm-hmm. and you know, you're at your highest energy level, play it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to mentally connect the good feeling and performance with that song and then what's going to happen is instead of it being connected it's going to become causality in your system and so you'll hear the start of the song and your body will be in go mode and it literally will flip the switch and you'll be ready to do what you need to do that's really interesting and practical i find uh ways of reprogramming yourself because we hear a lot nowadays about you have to reprogram yourself uh but no one uh that i've Someone heard tells you how exactly <laughs> how do i do this and i you know you're in a loop trying different things and essentially doesn't really work uh, a lot of the times you keep falling back on your old patterns but this is really helpful um, another good way to do it is to write what you're trying to achieve So, for example, I could reach down there and grab one of my yellow pads, but my goal for the year with my book is to sell 1 million copies. And so on my phone, I've got a meditation app that was put together by one of my friends, Elfie Taylor, and Mm -hmm. one of the daily affirmations is me recording of myself saying the affirmation that I will sell a million books this year. I feel really good selling a million books and it's 10 minutes of just me on loop saying that but it's my own voice so i can hypnotize because in our head we're using our own voice right and so when you play it it's more powerful than anybody else you could be literally saying the exact same thing but it would have one tenth of the power because it's my voice my cadence my verbiage 
with my affirmation. So that's one thing. And then writing it. There's something called haptic feedback. So when I'm working with a client, I tell them, write this down. Don't type it. Write it. Because if I'm being a code monkey, it doesn't matter which button I hit. My body can't really tell the difference. But if I take a piece of paper and a pen or pencil and I write one million books, my body is recognizing the letters and the words Mm -hmm. and further embedding it into my being. And so writing down that thing, that affirmation, 10 times in the morning, five times at lunch, five times in the evening, that's 20 repetitions on it. That is beating it into my subconscious that I'm going to sell a million books. I don't know how yet, but that's the job of the subconscious to figure that out. That was my next question. How far along are you on this goal of one million books? Well, we're actually having a re-release with a new publisher of the book in about a week. So it's going to look really cool. It's going to be hardcover and everything. So this is the original version. And, you know, I've sold a couple of thousand copies, which is nice. You know, it's the Kindle number one new release in professional development. But with this re-release, we're going to be able to really hit this thing hardcore. So I feel not great about it, but pretty good. And I've got enough time to make the goal come to fruition. And myself and the people who are closest to me that I interact with are committed to this goal. So they're, you know, my 11-year-old son's like, da, have you sold a million yet? Da, have you sold a million yet? So, of course, I got him. And then, like, my uh, major domo, my right arm, Athena, is constantly on it. My buddy Juan, my amigo, he's, like, helping build stuff out because he's a computer genius in terms of marketing and stuff like that. So I've got these people around me who buy into the vision and are supporting it with their own skill set in addition to bumping me up, like my buddy Lane, when I was having that bad day, he's the one who said, dude, you're a badass. Remember that. Yeah. So sometimes you need that kick in the butt. So I do that for a lot of my friends and clients, but it's always good to have somebody remind us when we're having that rough day because the strongest people sometimes need to be re- reminded how strong they actually are. Yeah, I actually have a friend that does this. And uh, I mean... Um, before she used to do it after, let's say, I call her with like an issue or having like a mental breakdown or something. And now just out of the blue, she sends me like reminders, like you're strong, you're, you know, and it's like, always it's so touching because sometimes I I tend to forget that because I, I, um, I can be very strict on myself. Like I want to achieve this. And and Mm -hmm. if it's not going the way I want to, I, I, I start like, panic mode basically to, and and feeling maybe like an imposter in, in some ways that I mm-hmm. or that I don't deserve what what it is that I'm asking for um, so it is very important to have a supportive uh, environment I completely agree and having that friend who can when you're there and you're struggling can turn you around and make you look at how far you've already come and say dude or do that or hey buddy look Look at what you've accomplished, because especially when we have these goals that are incredible like this, we don't realize what we've already overcome to get there, what we've already done. We're just focused on, okay, you know, this, you know, this step here is so difficult, or I'm having so much trouble, you know, reaching the next level or getting here, or I'm frustrated. You don't realize that, wow, I've already done more than 75% of the people on the planet. 
Now, I've already written a book. Okay, how many people have done that? Okay, I've gotten the book published. All right, how many people actually say, I want to write a book and actually get to the point of getting it published? Mm -hmm. Okay, those are huge steps that we don't realize how big it is until somebody else makes us step back and look at the arc of our story so far and be like, whoa. I find it's also helpful sometimes to, to just yourself take a step back. Uh, like I did that recently. I All this book and podcast and things, like I started it uh, maybe two years ago. I made a plan of what I'm going to do and why. Um, mm -hmm. And then I started and the... Um, the end goal kind of changed because my initial idea was that, okay, I'm going to write a book and do the podcast and then I can help, uh, for example, businesses by offering them the service and um, of setting up a podcast for them, these types of things. Um, but then I helped an uh, organization with a crowdfunding campaign and I thought that it's not exactly my end goal that I want to, to, to do it because it, it's like, just not the way I, I want to to use my talent. Um, mm -hmm. But then recently I took a step back. I thought, okay, I started doing this for a reason. And then um, I kind of wrote out, where do I want to go with this? And I came out that actually I just want to like set up an academy for like innovative arts, right? That, um for especially focused on like marginalized uh, groups of people that might not get the opportunity to go to like art school, but have like brilliant ideas. Um, and it's not mm -hmm. like, just simple arts for the sake of arts, but it's art with a meaning to like change their uh, own environments and these things like that. And that just like lit a fire in me again. So I, I think it's very important to, not only have someone that can uh, like put you aside and like look uh, what you accomplish, but for you to consciously take like a step back and like rewrite everything and throw out what's not working, and it's completely fine to um, readjust your path. I, I find that right. I think important too. And it, as Nietzsche said, if your why is strong enough, you can overcome any how, yeah. and one of the ways that I look at this is you've got this big goal, what you're trying to accomplish. Look at life like it's a video game in some ways. Right. And you've got this big quest that you're trying to go for where you know you want the castle, save the princess, get the gold, you know, whatever. But along the way, you have these various side quests. Okay, the side quest might be you take a, a gig job doing something. It might be, okay, you started studying at college and you decide not to. You were in a relationship that uh, did not work out, like with our situation, okay? But those are not lost times. Those are side quests, and side quests are meant to get you resources and skills to help you in your main quest. So it, the relationship that didn't work out, what did you learn from it? What memories do you have? What emotional growth have you gotten from it um the best example that i can use is steve jobs when he dropped out of college but still hung out at the college would attend just all these random classes that interested him and he took a calligraphy class and that led to the plethora of fonts 
that became available with the Macintosh, which eventually came on over to Windows. So the reason why you can have a cool signature in your email is because Steve Jobs took a calligraphy class when he was wandering around Bard Campus. And it's those little things that you don't know how it's going to affect you overall. But as Steve Jobs said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only look back and see it. So the more dots that we have, the more data, the more skills that we've acquired, the more resources that we've acquired on these side quests, if we remain true to the main quest of our life, what we're trying to accomplish, allow us to have more capability to get there. And so that's one of the reasons why I look at any of these things that other people might call failures. And I look at them as expensive tuition, learning experiences, scars that give me good stories that I can tell people. But in the end, it makes me a better human being and better equipped, more resilient for where I'm trying to get to down the road. That's really interesting to hear that that story of Steve Jobs, because uh, like. I, I love to learn and I, I have a guilty pleasure of getting into new courses. <laughs> I don't finish all of them, but I find that um, I, I, I learn until the point where it sparks me to, to like go ahead. Right. And huh? then at the end of the day, I thought, you know, it's fine. It's like, or maybe if I don't finish it now, maybe down the line, I'll gotten further enough that I actually have the time to sit and finish them. Or when you're ready, you come back to it. And so being autodidactic in a lot of ways like this, you can take from psychology, you can take from history, you can take from these different areas and you put them all in your brain. And my friend, Chris Millis, who uh, as a writer and cartoonist says, you fill your brain with all these different things and they're going to muddle around and you just pull out different concepts or you have these different ideas that then have relationships with each other and you get all these baby ideas that are synthetic from these different things. And the more that you can cram on in there and create a conducive environment for them, the more and better output that you're going to get. And so this continuous learning idea that like Einstein embraced and all these others is one of the big differences between those who are be able to continue to produce innovative and effective work for years and decades, as opposed to those who might be a one and done because they've spent their entire life to do that one album or write that one book or that one painting versus somebody who is in this growth mindset who is continuously learning and adding new things on in. They are going to have new things to say and express in their own media. Right. Yeah, I, I find really, like, I love, as I said, I love learning. I love just the idea of schools and institutions, any kind of learning environment. I'm completely sold on it. If I could still be learning or, I mean, like in school right now, I would do it, but, you know. Why not? You got Khan Academy. MIT's got their entire course catalog on YouTube, the entire one from MIT. Um, through Coursera, you can take a lot of these free courses, like the course on happiness from mm -hmm. Yale University mm -hmm. is available for free there. Yeah, you don't get a certificate, but you get the knowledge. Right. I'd rather have knowledge than another, you know, set of letters or piece of paper. I mean, I got more degrees than a thermometer, so I don't need more degrees. Right. 
I just need more information, more knowledge, more wisdom. And there's nothing out there stopping me. My mom was an educator and she always said the quote by Mark Twain, never let school interfere with your education. So, and this is one of the ways that we can help overcome the emotional damage from bad relationships is to relight this fire for learning and desire and understanding. I mean, hell, I picked up a degree in uh, counseling to try and understand what the hell was going on within my relationship. Right. And so, you know, yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're a dark triad, not narcissist. You know, but, you know, sometimes you don't want that knowledge, but it still makes me better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, I- uh, you know, maybe now you can recognize the red flags beforehand. <laughs> I think in in the moment when you actually, the knowledge comes to you, sometimes it can be hard and and maybe slap you in the face in in a sense. Like, whoa, you know, how didn't I see that? Like you were saying earlier. Um, But at the end of the day, I'm always happy to have learned uh, it because, you know, it it makes it easier maybe to, to spot those red flags and to... I find set boundaries because once mm-hmm. you notice that, um, you can say, well, no, I'm not accepting this this behavior. I know what you're doing. Um, it so- also gives you the Cassandra insight a little bit. You, can, you have foresight. You can see, oh, this is where this road goes. And you can right. decide whether or not to walk on it. And also, it's sort of like uh, an example that I teach young martial artists mm-hmm. is very quickly they learn don't block with your face because it hurts. Mm-hmm. And so we're still blocking with our heart. We're still taking those hits very often. And as a martial artist, you know, when you're a brand new martial artist, you get hit one time and it hurts, but you get used to it. You can build up a tolerance. You toughen your body, you toughen your mind. And unfortunately, in these sort of relationships that we were in, we end up, you know, that first hit to the heart hurts, but we overcome it, especially you know, with the resilient attitude and all this. So we keep getting hit and we don't realize how bad the hurt actually is because we build that tolerance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Going back to our boiling frog. So how does one protect their heart in any situation, especially in such, such a relationship? One of the things is have a wingman or a wingwoman have spotters, have people run interference, mm-hmm. say, dude, Remember so-and-so? Just like her. Have, you know, have somebody be able to throw the flag for you. Because if you don't see the red flags because you've got you know, the rose tan glasses on, you're getting all goo-goo, gaga-eyed and all that again, and you're going down the same path because you know, we repeat our mistakes when it comes to our heart simply because uh, we're looking for something very often to fill the, a void within us. And so we... It tend to date the same sort of person over and over again. So one thing is you have to take time after your relationship to try and heal and fill that void on yourself. That's the reason why you should never jump straight into another relationship. Mm-hmm. You need to take the time to figure out why the previous ones didn't work and what is, I don't want to say wrong with us because that sounds too negative, but we yeah. all have you know, voids, we all have flaws. We, you know, we've got these tendencies. So why am I doing that? And what can I do to correct this? What can I do to fill this need in some ways without being dependent on another human being? 
Okay, so internally versus external gratification sort of thing. And so if we do that, then if we're starting down that same path, our friend is like tapping us on the shoulder, dude, don't do it. Don't do it. You know where this is going to go. And we're like, oh, this time it will be different. (laughs) So you need your that tough love from another person who you completely trust. Very often, it's a member of the opposite sex who you love, but not necessarily in a physical manner. So like my best friend, ZM, does this for me. Athena does this for me. I've got a couple of women who are very, very close to me who are like, dude, you've got to type. Okay? They're this tall. They look like this. They have this sort of psychological, you know, issue. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. So like, they're like, yeah, we're going to eventually hook you up with somebody, but their name's not going to start with A. They're not going to be blonde. They're not going to be five foot five, you know? So they're like, yeah, we can, we've got the entire rest of the world over here, even though you always, you know, get magnetically drawn to those because of you know some of the holes in you makes sense makes sense i noticed that i i tend to attract people with like commitment issues <laughs> mm-hmm. and i desperately want like commitments you said like i i have this mindset of building so i essentially want someone that that wants that same thing um but often i find more people with commitment issues and people that actually want to like Come in and, and yeah, work. because they want you to do all the work and they don't have to because they've never learned how to do the work. Right. And that's one of the things where they say opposites attract, you know, the narcissist and the empath, the giver and the taker, the person who has the long range plans and discipline with getting together with the person with the hedonistic tendencies of current enjoyment right. because, oh, we balance each other. No, we're really <laughs> well, different. Okay. And so like a jigsaw puzzle, we fit together in a lot of ways, but we're not necessarily locking into what's the substrate beneath that, that is actually the same that keeps us together long range. And that's part of the problem. It's the surface match, but the underneath is too different. That makes sense. Yeah. Still, it's, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, we're human. And <laughs> she said, if it well, was easy, it wouldn't be worth it. No, we, we wouldn't have to write books about it and how to get yeah. things. Yeah. And there would be love stories and movies and songs and poetry books and all this. Okay. It's because we've been screwing up this way for as long as humanity's been around. That it almost seems like it's supposed to be like this in, in a sense, but. I, I mean, I can only hope that one day we, or maybe our children or children's children kind of evolve past this stage, but I, so far, I don't know. Uh, well, but- if you have kids, like I've got three kids, I'm making sure that they see and learn the lessons. And so mm-hmm. they understand, okay, this is the way that die interacts with people. This is how you should treat a woman no matter what, even if you want to push her off a tall building at some times you all, never raise your voice. You never raise your hand. You know, you try and communicate. You always take the high ground. So people are going to either see how their parents act and mm-hmm. want to be exactly like them as a good model mm-hmm. or be the exact opposite. So like I tried to act like my parents, my parents were married until the day my mom died and from her cancer and my dad still loves her eight years later. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And so I had very good models. So either you have good models like that and you rebel against them or you try and embrace them. If you have bad models, you know, more than likely than not, you're going to inherit trauma from that and you're going to act that same way. So with my relationship where we have one who's a giver, one who's a taker, you know, hopefully the children see and can assess and make their own decisions as to which they want to be. Because it is over 50% of choice. Yeah, there's some biological programming there because of, uh, you know, uh, like mental illnesses or bi other biological things. But more than 50% of the output is the result of the daily choices and how we want to interact. So they can choose to have a good relationship or, or to try and have a good relationship and do the things that are additive. Or they can try and, you know, follow the negative extractive path mm -hmm. and just take in the relationship. Hopefully, we model the best for them. Yeah, I mean, it is, I, I'm reminded of the this saying that um, we always try to essentially parent our, our children's different than we were parenting ourselves, but often mm -hmm. that creates even more or not more, it creates different traumas for the next generation uh, right. that we can't foresee. And, and so that's why you see this pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth, because, for example, the baby boomers, mm -hmm. okay? The baby boomers were taught, don't trust anybody over 30. Right. Okay, you don't trust the adults. And, you know, because they grew up with these very strict parents from the greatest generation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they were off at war, okay, and they grew up in Great Depression era and all this. So the baby boomers swung the other way, highly consumeristic, right. okay, uh, much more liberal in terms of how they interact with their kids and all that. So the children of most boomers are millennials. Mm -hmm. So if you look at, they either go much further or they swing back the opposite way. I'm a, I'm a prototypical Gen Xer, okay. We, my dad traveled all the time for work. Well, I was one of six kids. I mean, our, our summer was like, okay, you know, eat breakfast, get on out. You can right. drink from the hose. I don't want to see you till lunch. And then I don't want to see you again till dark. Right. Okay? And we just d did things on our own. And mm -hmm. so uh, we became highly, highly independent. Our kids are the Zoomers, the Generation Z for the most part. So, oh, it's all over scheduled and, you know, we're trying to spend time with them and all these things because we didn't have that. We were the first generation of divorced kids for the most part. My family wasn't, but a ton of my friends were. And so that relational trauma that we've seen and experienced is passed down to the next generation. So if you talk to most uh, Zoomers, a lot of them never want kids. They, because of what they've experienced, they don't mm -hmm. want long-term relationships and yeah, they're still young and everything, but yeah. the proclivity to not want those relationships and not have children and all that is so much higher at their age than it was for previous generations. And that's because of what they experienced. So we need to try and heal ourselves because as it says in the Bible, the sins of the father are passed down to the son, to the seventh generation. What we do and what we've experienced Right. carries on forward whether it's good or bad it makes sense and i do as you as said i do notice this a lot of people don't want to have children and they don't want to 
the commitment issues, right? They don't they don't want to have like a long term relationship, and it's it's hard out there in the dating world uh, right now because of this reason. If if you do want to to kind of like uh, have this commitment and have children, I do find a lot of people are kind of blaming it on uh, like global warming, um, but I. I to me, it makes a lot more sense that it's a result of this uh, trauma. That, um, yeah, that- global warming is an excuse, just like everything else. They're using it as the external reason mm-hmm. to wrap their feelings and their pain in as an excuse. Yeah, it's make, it makes it easy, right? It's just I don't have to deal with myself and my pain. And, oh, and there's no pain, in fact. It's, the pain is that the world is ending because of global warming. And uh, right. this is the reason. Yeah, it makes sense. So how did this whole experience uh, change the way you see yourself? I have to remind myself that, you know, no, I don't completely suck. I'm not a bad human being. You know, I can do this. You know, I've survived bad days. I'm going to continue to survive bad days. There's going to be bad days, but that's life. And, you know, things will get better over time. So it's just like the grieving process in a lot of ways. Uh, You know, when my mom died, um, you go through anger and resentment and grief and then acceptance and occasional sorrow and any long-term relationships like that. So I read something a couple of weeks ago where it said that if you've coming, if you're coming out of a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. that it's going to take you roughly half the time that you are in that relationship to heal. Mm-hmm. So if you were married for 20 years, it's going to take you real, close to a decade to get over it. And as we saw during the COVID epidemic, the two groups that saw the highest spike in divorce rates were those mm-hmm. newly married and those who were married 20 plus, 20 years and plus. Right. Okay? So if you had a very intense short-term relationship of one year, six months from now, you know, you'll be over it. Right. If you had a seven-year relationship, it's going to take... You know, that relationship is actually going to be with you between being in it and learning facts for a decade. If it was a 25-year relationship, you're talking three and a half plus decades that that is going to be with you. So if that relationship started in your early 20s, you're getting almost to the point of retirement before you are fully able to move beyond So it's going to take time and you can accelerate some of that time by doing harder work on yourself. There's an old saying that in financial services, you can be a first year agent in your first year, or you can be a one in your fifth year. So facing the pain, embracing the suck, as my military friends like to put it, running Mm -hmm. towards the screams, looking right into the abyss, to quote Nietzsche going right there and unflinchingly pulling it apart, doing the after action item, debriefing yourself, having close friends sit there and talk it through with you, basically doing counseling, whether it's formal with a shrink or more informal, like with a group of your buddies over beers or whatever adult beverage you choose and consistently going there so that you can pull it apart and look at what happened from different angles and extract all the lessons Mm -hmm. so that these different components of your psyche can be reassembled properly 
is critical because our partners who abused us for that long built up an edifice around us. So we need to tear that down and take the pieces of that in ourselves and reassemble into something better. Makes sense. Makes sense. So is there anything else uh, that you want to share with the audience before we? It's going to take time. You can do this. Find the tools to help you, you know, whether it's people, whether it's stuff on the internet, whether it's books, my book, can and will help you. You'll take from you need. And actually, as a thank you to your listeners, Marak, um, if they go to my website, everyday-excellence.com, and they put in the code MOG, Manarak of Gray, MOG, they'll be able to get a discount on the books to be able to help themselves out. Great. So go get it. I saw the book. It's like, um, it's daily practices, like for from the 1st of January until the, the 31st of uh, December. And there's uh, just um, some inspirational and motivational uh, exercises that you can follow along. So if you recognize yourself uh, in our story, uh, essentially, and you want to better yourself, uh, definitely check out that book. Um, and on that note, thank you so much for sharing your story of uh, vulnerability with me, with us. Uh, and uh, maybe I see you another time on the Poison Honey podcast. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Be excellent and grow today. Thank you. Thank you.